Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> Let's pray before we read God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for carrying the writers of Scripture along and causing them to write your Word that by your action there's no imagination on their part, no personal activity that, uh, that, that gives them a sense of greatness, but it is you working in their lives. It is you taking hold and you carrying them. We thank you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit that we have a, a word that glorifies you as a triune God and proclaims you as a saving God. And we ask that you would bless us as we reflect on your word together, as you draw us to yourself, through your word and through the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll begin reading at, at verse 17. <clears throat> But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the, the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about other things, I will give directions when I come. This much that we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you want to keep your Bibles open and, and follow along as we talk about the, the passage. And 1 Corinthians 11 is, is obviously the, um, the basic text concerning the Lord's Supper. And it's... Um, it, it's, a, it's a text that we look at gladly because the instruction is clear. And, um, 
And it's one that we look at to gain correction when we find ourselves creating different aspects of the supper or things of that nature. And that's what was happening in Corinth already. And you remember when we studied Corinthians some years ago that Paul had a lot of correction for the Corinthians. And, um, but in, in today's focus, I, I want us to, to just look at three things. First of all, to examine the fellowship dinner. Second, to examine the Lord's Supper. And then to examine the path to eating and drinking. And so examine the fellowship dinner, and that's the name I'm giving it because that's what, what Paul begins by talking about. And we, we notice several overall patterns. He, he says in the, in the first segment, but in the following instruction, I do not commend you, verse 17. And then in verse 22, he ends that segment, shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And you remember from some of our special classes that this is that neat little thing that we call inclusion. Or it's, it's an envelope that he's creating. And so he, with this commendation at beginning and, and end, and, and, um, and, and in the, the correcting with the Corinthians, Paul often does that. He, he highlights a special focus. And in this particular unit, he, he puts things in brackets as if it were, um, so that we, we see them confined, contained, and, and we can focus specifically. And he's clarifying, clarifying that he's not commending the Corinthians for their practice, and he will not be persuaded to commend them for their practice. I mean, it's like, you, you cannot convince me, you cannot force me, you cannot do anything that's going to push me to, to say that what's going on here is right. And he's being kind of strong with them. And to be, to be abundantly clear, he lays it out for them, saying three times in this unit, verse 17, 18, and 20, when you come together. Verse 17, when you come together, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. We, we would hope today that we're coming together for the better, right? I mean, we, we would hope that we celebrate the Lord's Supper for the building up, the nourishment of our faith. We would hope that it's a proclamation of Christ's death until he comes again. And so we, we would hope that we're engaged in, in this and that, that we are coming together for something better, and just in terms of our own growth and faith and growth in the blessings, that it would be something better. But he continues to say in verse 18, but when you come together as a church, which, which should be this, this communal fellowship now as a church, as, as the ecclesia of the, of, of the body of Christ, I hear there are divisions among you. And he says, well, I, and I believe it. You know, it's like, I know you Corinthians, I've been, been over this, and you're just division, division, division. You know, I keep trying to bring you back, and so I, I believe it. And he, he gets kind of harsh with them, doesn't he? And then he, verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You think that's what you're getting, but that's not what you're getting because you've destroyed it. And God's not in it. And you think, wow. Isn't that too harsh? I mean, this, this is, he's really 
banging them. I mean, the, the rub is that the Corinthians, without a doubt, thought they were coming together for the Lord's Supper. Here's Paul telling them that they've turned the supper into something different than he had taught them. It's something different than he instituted, and now he has our attention. Because we have to honestly say, what are we doing? Have we missed something in our own lives? Is there a sense that we're coming with some different attitude? Is there something that has caused us to miss the actual blessing of the Lord's Supper? Is it really the Lord's Supper that we share together today, or have we disqualified ourselves? Have we turned the sacrament into an ongoing proclamation, not of Christ's death, but of something else? The questions, brothers and sisters, for your comfort are rhetorical, but they're real. I mean, we, we can't read Corinthians without feeling a little bit of the piercing of the body, the mind, the soul right? But there's no hidden baggage there. I, I'm not aware of anything in this congregation that we would say that we have turned things aside. But we need to feel the weight of God's Word. That's part of our examination. That's why we're supposed to examine ourselves when we come to the table. And so we, we feel those questions in Corinth and in my opinion, and it's my opinion, we say, praise God, we, we don't see those things here. We, we don't see an offense that we've turned the Lord's Supper into something else. That, that God, by his mercy, through the wisdom of the officers of this church, he's kept us in tune with his word. And now, are we full keepers of the word? No, we're not. <laughs> how, how many times have I broken the word today alone? Uh, you know, I mean, no, we're not. And, 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 and is there something, even in drifting thoughts with this passage, is there a sense where, where we have had drifting thoughts that would kind of move us someplace to say, boy, we're almost on the line of turning it into something else because we're just coming for habit. This is what we do every even-numbered month of the year. So February the second month, Lord's Supper time. So we come, right? And where's the examination? And where's the, you know, and it's just... Well, those are personal questions. But the blessed answer is that even if God is pointing out something to us, all he's asking us to do is to realize what we're doing and to repent of it and to come with joy. We don't come in the fullness of our goodness. We come out of our need, our desperation. And so when he convicts us, then we, we realize the, the blessings that come. And um, 
Do you know, the, the, the questions though are, are, are just so simple. Is this about us? Or is it about me? Or is it about Jesus Christ and his broken body and shed blood? Um, and it's, it's interesting to, for me to reflect on this as I was even thinking about our pattern and our, our history. And um, I, I think about the, the Lord's Supper when I was growing up and the church was fairly big, fairly full. And if, when you had the Lord's Supper, it was always all eyes straight ahead. <laughs> it was, and, and you think, where's the community here? Well, don't, don't be looking around. It's all eyes straight ahead. And it's, it's like almost breaking the sense of, we're here together. It's okay if we look at each other. It's okay if we realize that we've come as a body together. You know, it's, in fact, there's something good about that. And Martin Luther, you know, remember, he tried to correct that in worship by singing antiphonally. Men, women, adults, children, create community, make sure everybody hears, make sure everybody's aware um, that, that we're, we're a body, that we're coming together, and that we're, we're caught up in this together. And so, I mean, our, our tradition is that we would be very pious, very quiet, very reserved, very... And have, have, we, have we realized, you know, are, are we, did we make it about me? Because it's so personalized that it's just me. And if it's just me coming to the table of the Lord, just me, take, then, then we're missing something because it has to be us. And not only us, it has to be our brothers and sisters in every part of the world that's, that, that's united to Jesus Christ, saved by, by Christ. And, and that's the rub. The, the Corinthians had somehow become utterly selfish. And, and it, it's just this warning call. Well, well second, that, that we would examine the Lord's Supper itself in verse 23 and following, that we get the instruction from the Lord Jesus. And I'm not going to pretend to know how Paul got the instruction from the Lord. I, I'll leave that to Micah to explain. <laughs> you know, I mean, how, how, did he, how did he get this instruction from the, the Lord? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it was communicated on the Damascus Road. It, it doesn't seem like it was communicated when Ananias told him how much he would suffer for the Lord's name's sake. You know, I, I, but I think... Again, this is me now. I think he got it when he went to Petra. Because I'm pretty sure that he went to Petra. When he went to Arabia, when he went to Petra, Petra had the largest Jewish library outside of Jerusalem. And so why wouldn't he go to Petra? And why wouldn't he study the scriptures over and over and over and over and over again to say, Gamaliel taught me this, and now I've met Jesus Christ. I need to get into the scriptures to see how the scriptures point to Christ. And so, I mean, that's where I think he got it, is that uh, he just got it from God's word, pouring over it over and over. And uh, maybe he got some of it from meeting with Peter and James and John. 
maybe they reflected on that transformational Passover meal when they were celebrating the Passover and it was the Lord's Supper in that moment. I, I, but, but there were also was this occasion that when we look at the Corinthians, the occasion is that this is betrayal night. And Jesus takes the Passover bread, perhaps the afikoman, if you understand the Passover. Um, and he gives thanks and he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body, which is for you. And so that had been communicated to Paul. And he had taught that to the Corinthians and now he's bringing it back to them. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we see the contrast between the fellowship dinner with its personal focus and the Lord's Supper that is utterly Christ-focused. And we come drawn into this fellowship with Christ. We hear the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wondrous face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's no personal focus. There's no personal agenda. It's a Christ-focused, Christ agenda. And we can almost say, fortunately, the Corinthians got it wrong so that we would get the instruction. You know, that they were corrected by the Apostle Paul so that they would follow the pattern. And then we would hear the instruction so that we would follow the pattern. And there's this total submissive remembrance of Jesus. That Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Savior on the cross. Jesus is God the Son in absolute humility. Not considering his equality with God as something to hang on to, but humbling himself to take on human flesh. Humbling himself to death on the cross. And so now, in, in, instead of the meal being the focus, as the Corinthians had latched into, it becomes Christ and the broken body and shed blood that becomes the focus. It becomes the proclamation of Jesus Christ until he comes again. And then we see, thirdly, that we are to examine the path to eating and drinking. And there's a universal warning, verse 27, whoever, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So what Paul is saying is that it's kind of hard to use the language because it, it just sounds weird, but there's an unworthy manner, therefore there is a worthy manner of eating. 
And it sounds weird to talk about a worthy manner, doesn't it? Um, it, it just it just doesn't doesn't really ring. So, um, but you know, we get this unworthy and the worthy. Then what what makes it worthy? The unworthy brings guilt. But the the worthy, or let's call it the attentive manner, the manner of listening and following what we're supposed to follow, brings an examination, and then so eat. And there can be no eating grammatically without examination. It's impossible. And then the question comes again, have we made the Lord's Supper a fellowship meal? Because we've taken out the examination or because we've taken the character away from it. And personally, I think not. I, I think that our, our tradition has sufficiently warned us and kept us close to the text. And we ask ourselves, have we come to the Lord's Supper in disregard for the body of Christ and the union of all who have been called to Jesus? And again, I doubt it. When, when Dr. Craig Van Gelder came to Calvin Seminary and started teaching in, what, 33 years ago or something like that, one of the comments that he made is that he had never seen liturgical forms such as he was reading as a new member of the Christian Reformed Church. And he called them forms that were fences, forms that kept us to the table, that they fenced the table and they kept us from going away from the table. Interesting insight that, that, um, that here, here's a, a well-learned guy coming in to teach at the seminary and he discovers the liturgy and he says, this is the best there is. This is amazing that we need to heed the instruction that we would not, verse 27, eat in an unworthy manner, and that each one needs to examine himself, verse 28, each one needs to prove the testing. That we're to judge ourselves so that God doesn't judge us, verse 31. We're to be disciplined so that we will not be condemned, verse 32. That we're commanded to wait for one another, verse 33. And then that becomes that literal practice in the Christian Reformed Church. Don't you dare touch that stuff until everybody takes it at the same time. We have to wait for one another. Uh, exegetically, is that really what it meant? <laughs> but, 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 you know, that's the way we do it, and so it's, it's nice to do it that way. There's something I, I like about it, but I, I'm not sure exegetically that, that it bears weight. But there we are, you know, so we, we, we do that. But what we want is we want a communal sharing in the sacrifice of Christ that each one of us shares in Christ in that moment. In all of this, it helps us see the sacrificed lamb as he is to be seen. The lamb of Passover recedes and the lamb who takes away the sins of the world emerges. And it emerges with clarity that a new redemption is proclaimed. It's not the promise of Passover, it's the reality of Jesus on the cross. There's a new covenant of redemption in God the Son who humbled himself. 
That is to say that he would be the one, the rejected one who is now the marker of peace with God, that Jesus would be the rejected one so that you and I would never be rejected. That God would turn his back on him and create utter darkness in creation so that you and I would never be tossed aside because we belong to God in him. In God the Son and his death, we belong body and soul and life and death to our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you and I, we get the privilege of confessing that before every knee realizes, before the utterance of despair, that we get to proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. And we get to know that we are his forevermore. That all of this is to the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, so that we can be new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for drawing us to yourself. We thank you, Father, for equipping us in the instruction of your word. And we pray that, that you would clarify in our own lives that there, there is some sense of examination that precedes the eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper. That if we have not had the thoughts this week to examine ourselves, that, that we would do so prayerfully in this moment. That it, it wouldn't be, oh, well, I missed out then, but that you would convict us by your spirit if there are things of repentance that we must lay before you. That you would direct us by your very word to see the reality anew and afresh in Jesus Christ and that we would come with joy to the table of the Lord. That we would come with joy to realize that we have a Savior who gave his all so that we will not be rejected. We will not be condemned but rather we will see the Father turn his face toward us and call us blessed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.